Hey, this is Jobek Motsky and welcome to Simplify Cancer podcast. Cancer is so crazy. You have to deal with the treatment, you have to deal with your own emotions, you have to deal with your everyday life. It's so easy to overthink it. So that's why I love talking to Kevin. He's found a way to cut through the noise and deal with it in a really profound and honest way. I'm sure you're gonna love it. Kevin, the first thing I want to ask you is, how did you react when you first found out that you had cancer? Well, I was numb. And the reason for that is the way I found out was a little different. I was living in Hawaii at the time with my wife. We had, uh, I'd retired from being a magician for many, many years. And we wanted to do something, something that was really different and something we'd always wanted to do, which was to live in a Zen center and study Zen meditation. And so we actually lived in Hawaii as residents in a Zen center for a year. And um, my diagnosis happened there in Hawaii. We went in to see my primary care physician and had a little bump on my breast and um, went to see a surgeon who did a needle biopsy. And she was going to get the results to me in a few days. And at that very same time, my mother, who lived in the States, fallen and broken her hip. She was 93 years old. So I jumped on a plane. They said she wasn't going to live very much longer. Flew to California to see mom, say goodbye to mom. And on Mother's Day, which was uh, May 11, 2014, I got a phone call from this physician. She left a message, and I'll never forget the words. She said, Kevin, I have a little bit of bad news. And that's how I got my, my diagnosis over the phone on Mother's Day when I had gone to, to literally say goodbye to my mom. She lived another couple of days. I flew back to Hawaii, but the thing that's so unusual about this is that I was I was there for her. So my brothers and sisters were there, we were all saying goodbye. So when this news came over the phone that I had cancer, I didn't have time to even process it. Uh, I just kind of put it away. And on the plane ride back to Hawaii was when I first hit. And so that numbness that I had remained that way for a couple of days until I was heading home. And that's when I really started to think about it. And that's when all the typical fears, uh, thoughts, and the future worries about what the heck this cancer even is because I didn't know men could have it. That's when it all set in. Yeah, well, and I guess it's a real struggle to talk about cancer as well, because when you're going through it and asking for help and talking to your family, talking to your friends. So how did you go about that? Well, my, my family was very supportive, but remember, they were 2,500 miles away. They were all back here in the mainland. Um, fortunately, I was living in about the best place you could be to have a cancer diagnosis, which was a, you know, a Zen community and a Zen Buddhist temple. Uh, and people there, of course, were totally supportive. And I, I guess that kind of proves that no matter you know what kind of lifestyle you live, you can be a vegetarian and sit in meditation all day long, walk on the beach, and still get cancer. So there's no guarantee that where you are and what you do is going to keep cancer away. But they were totally supportive. I stayed there another four months before we came back to the mainland and recuperated there, had my surgery, my mastectomy there, and I couldn't have asked for a better support. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, Kevin. So tell me, how did you, uh, how did that meditation help you to deal with the whole madness of cancer? It helped me a lot, and it still helps me today. It's, it's one of the best tools that I have. And meditation really is just a simple practice of uh, basically just living in this moment right now. It's, it sounds trite, it sounds oversimplified, but it really is not a complicated thing. It takes a lot of practice because our minds are in and out of you know, the fear of cancer, the, the fear of recurrence. The, the issues we've had in the past, the pain of, uh, of, of living with a you know a life-threatening disease, but meditation is, I think, probably the single most uh, beneficial tool that I have, and I I sit in I try to sit in meditation every day, uh, and it's been a wonderful help, really. 
So, you know, Kevin, like for me, meditation has been always something that I've heard about and I wanted to try. I guess if someone wanted to get into it, what would you recommend as a way to get in? Because we hear a lot about meditation, but no one really knows how to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the the professionals, the the guys who go back a thousand years will tell you they don't know how to do it. The minute you think about it, you're not doing it. (laughs) So, but but it's really true. I mean, it's... It's, I'll tell you the Hollywood version, which is not correct. Uh, nobody becomes in life. We're not heading somewhere that's going to give us peace in our lives or, or change our lives in some significant way. We're not, we're not trying to get to that place. Meditation is a lot easier than that. And Zen meditation in particular uh, should be effortless, and eventually it is. Uh, basically, it's sitting quietly, watching your busy, busy thoughts, and we all have them all day long. I have them right now as I'm speaking to you, wondering what your next question will be. <laughs> 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 but, that, but understanding that, that's how the brain works, is part of it. And when we can just kind of focus on this, this moment right now, which is you and me talking, and forget everything else, we are in perfect Zen meditation. And that's really all there is to it. Uh, the Hollywood version is, makes it much more complicated. We are all enlightened beings. It's just as a matter of sitting with that and allowing that to, to take place inside of us. <laughs> Cool. Okay, that's that's a pretty cool rundown, Kevin. And, and another form, I guess, of dealing with, with stress and with cancer, like, I guess, is music. I know that for me, Kevin, music has always been so much more than self-expression. I, I know it, it might sound weird, but for me, music has always been a form of self-therapy. And I know that uh, you're into music as well. So has, has your songwriting... Has it helped you to deal with cancer and the madness of it all? Absolutely. Next to meditation, music is the number one thing in my life. But it always has been. Meditation is something I, I got into well, probably 15 years ago when I got married to my wife, who's been meditating for 40 years. Music is music heals. That's that's all I can say about it. Music heals. And I've been writing music for many, many years. Uh, as I was sitting recuperating in that Zen center with, with all of the, the tubes coming out of my left breast, um, I wrote a song called What Good Is a Breast? It made me laugh. It was a funny, silly tune, <laughs> really, really asking the question, what good is a breast? And, and that's, what, that's what got me through those first couple of weeks. Uh, long before I decided to write a musical about it, which I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about later, uh, what was that song, you know, What Good is a Breast? And I, I had that going on in my head the whole time. I've written probably 150 tunes, and I uh, I look back at my whole life, and I read just the titles of these songs, and they tell me everything that I've done. I think the music is key. You don't have to be a writer, but, but listening to it and using it is a wonderful healing tool. It's so important. Do you think that music is something anyone can get into? Anyone who wants to, I guess, you know, express themselves, but maybe they've always been afraid to try. Maybe they're worried about not really having a musical talent or not having a great voice. Is is that something that anyone can do, do you think? Sure. I've been doing it for, gosh, over 50 years, and I still worry about whether or not I have a good enough voice to do it. <laughs> and I just like, <laughs> play it properly. But, you know, that's typical of artists. We never, I don't know, I can't speak for all of us, but I, I never feel totally uh, like I'm pro- professional at anything. You know, there's always that, there's always some learning that I can do and some improvement. Yeah, anybody can do it, whether you're writing it, playing an instrument, listening to it. And I don't know anybody that doesn't you know, enjoy hearing music. I'm sure there are some folks out there. But it's so healing. It's such, such a fantastic element that we can add to our lives. I can't imagine living with, without music. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Kevin. I think uh, I also think that 
continuous improvement is a path to mastery. So you, you can never be settled, you know, and just being in one place. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I love writing lyrics and tunes and um, they said I'm writing a musical, but I'll tell you about that. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So you, you have an entire musical about male breast cancer. So how did it come about? Well, it started with that song, What Good Is a Breast? But, you know, I had written another musical prior to this, uh, oh, about oh, maybe eight years ago when we were still living in California. I wrote a musical that I wanted seniors to be able to do. We were very involved in teaching seniors laughter yoga, going into senior centers and, and laughing with people, basically, is another tool for health and healing. And I wanted to write a play that they could relate to and get up and actually do. So it took a year to write it. It had 12 songs in it. And so I had had one in my under my belt, you know, that I had done. So the idea of writing another one was a little bit daunting because it takes a lot of time. I've been working on this one for, well, I think, 15 months now. My deadline for finishing is the end of this month, June. So I'm almost there. But it's a wonderful experience. I mean, it really focuses you, uh, gets you focused on the issue that you're working with. And in my case, it's male breast cancer. So many elements of that. It's a comedy, believe it or not. And, and people say to me, how can you laugh at cancer? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I tell them, I'm not laughing at cancer. I'm laughing in spite of it. And that's the whole point. You know, Male breast cancer, any way you look at it, is a wacky thing. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense because most people don't know we can even have it. It's, it's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. And because of that, I'm able to, to kind of laugh along those lines and, and write a show that I hope will engage people and, and let them know that male breast cancer actually exists. A lot of folks still don't, don't realize that. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, Kevin. And we all know that laughter is the best medicine. And like you said, yeah. it can be really a great tool for dealing with cancer and, and, and all the stress. And I know how you have some unique strategies on, on when it comes to putting you know laughter into practice. Can you talk about that? Sure. My wife got me into laughter yoga about 12 years ago. Laughter yoga is was uh, invented, if that's the correct word. It was conceived of by a gentleman who lives in India. His name is Dr. Madan Kataria. He is a, a medical doctor. And he got the idea about 20 years ago to, to use laughter as a healing tool. So he gathered people in, in a park in Mumbai, Mumbai, India, and they told jokes. And after three or four days, they realized they ran out of jokes. And he came up with this concept of laughing for no reason. And, and that's what laughing is about, laughter yoga. So we get on, on the phone, we, we do workshops, we laugh at people, but for no reason. Because laughter in a group situation always brings more laughter. You start laughing because you're laughing. It's a very simple thing. It's kind of like meditation in that sense. You can't overthink it. But again, it's a wonderful tool. You're, you're breathing properly. If you're laughing, you're breathing You're breathing down in the belly, which is where we need to get that oxygen. You're lowering cortisol, which is our stress hormone. You're increasing endorphins. And this is all supported by scientific evidence now in the last 10 years. So any way you look at it, laughter is a good thing. And if you can do it with a group, Right on. You, you got it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Kevin. So, so teach me. I mean, I, I think it sounds so great, like laughing for no reason at all, but someone has to start, right? Yeah, someone has start. to start. Get it going. <laughs> Just talking to you, I'm laughing. Uh, okay, I'll teach you a little laughter exercise. Can you see me? Yeah. Okay, but for those of us who are listening to the audio right now, I'm holding two pretend glasses in my hand. So can you do this with me? All right. So Joey, got to hold up your glasses. All right. We're pouring laughter from one glass to the other, saying, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The other glass, ha, 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 ha. We're shaking <laughs> them up like a cocktail. And now we're drinking it. <laughs> 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 Ha, ha, ha.
Wow, that, that is a great tool. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so when we combine, combine simple exercises like the one we just did, and there are hundreds of them that we can do, um, it, it helps a lot. It helps to stimulate that, that laughter thing. Mostly because they're so silly, you know, pouring an imaginary glass yeah. of laughter. Yeah, yeah, Kevin. And also, I think it's very symbolic, right? Like you've got the, the a glass half full, half empty. There you are. Never thought about that. I like that. <laughs> Way to go, <laughs> So there are, there are hundreds of exercises that people have come up with, and we, we use a lot of them. But they're, they're all just simple and fun. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, and I know that you're a big believer in mindfulness as well. So what does it mean for you, and how can someone apply it in their daily life? Well, again, mindfulness, of course, is related to, to meditation, in my case, then meditation. And, and really, it's, it's, it's a very simple thing. Mindfulness is a, it's a psychological process, really, of bringing a person's attention back to what's happening right now. So mindfulness, meditation is a tool for achieving mindfulness or at least experiencing it. And basically, if you are able to forget about that MRI you have tomorrow, or just set it aside because the fear that goes with it, it can be terrifying, at least in my case, yep. because I don't like them. <laughs> uh, and and get, to back, get to back to the, the moment at hand. The moment at hand right now is talking to Joe. Or the moment at hand is petting my cat, which is sitting right over here on the corner. And, and really, it's as simple as that. Mindfulness simply is being mindful of where you're at at any particular moment. It takes practice. And people who have worked with this for years tell you they, they still have to work at it. So it's, it's a daily practice you need to, you might want to do it too, if you want to be able to, to, uh, to follow through with that. Okay, cool. And, and look, Kevin, I know that you speak to many folks about how they deal with cancer. You, you obviously think about it a lot and you write a lot about your cancer experience. You mm-hmm. express it in so many different ways. So what are the top, I guess, let's say top three things that you learned about dealing with cancer, dealing with the fear, dealing with the stress? What are the top three things, I guess, that you have learned that everyone should know about? Well, how about I think you five things real fast? Perfect. Even better. <laughs> I like, I like vibes. <laughs> um, the first one is laugh. Laugh often. Laugh deeply. Uh, laugh with friends. Laugh at yourself. And by all means, laugh at your kids. And, and this may seem foreign to you for a moment, but let that sink in. You know, again, you're not laughing at your disease. You're laughing at yourself. So just realize how crazy it is that this thing even exists. 14 million people a year diagnosed with cancer around the world. Here in the United States, we're expecting about uh, 1.7 million new cancer people to, to, to be present here in this, this coming year, this 2018. So it's, it's huge. It's around the world. It's difficult to, to assimilate. It's difficult to understand. So laugh at it a little bit. Number two, I'd say get involved. As a cancer survivor, the best thing I've ever done besides writing music, is, is writing for Cure Magazine and some other ones. I, I write whatever I feel, and I, I love to be able to do that. It's a great way to express it. Write, write in a journal. Write a letter to another cancer survivor. But get involved in some way, and you'll find that it takes your, takes your stress away from your own situation. Uh, number three, I'd say believe in being well. Our bodies respond to how we believe, what our beliefs are, what we're thinking, how we're feeling. I believe that I'm a well person right now. I may have cancer in my body, but I'm symptom-free. And, and at this moment, symptom-free is all I, all I need. So, you know, believe, believe in being well. I'd say number four would be exercise. I've been a runner my whole life. I can't run now, but I just had two new knees put in, so I'm walking pretty well. But get out and do something. Whether it's walk, um, and if you can't do that, sit in a chair and move your arms, you know, move. Get some movement in your, in your body and in your life. And I'd say number five is add some music. Uh, again, I can't, can't overstress how incredible music is. Music feels. Do it any way you can. Listen to it. Sing it. 
Love it, love it, Kevin. That's fantastic. So you mentioned get involved. I think that's such um, fantastic advice. What are some of the great ways to get involved in something that's you know bigger than yourself? Good question. It is bigger than yourself, and the very fact that it is is what makes it work so well. I think uh, write a story. Every, you know, all of the cancer uh, periodicals, magazines, blogs—they they, want to hear your story. And don't don't even try to be a writer. Just try to tell the truth. And that's what people like to read. That's one way to do it. Uh, again, help help somebody down the street that you know has cancer. I love meeting new folks because I remember you know how terrifying it is really for those first weeks or months. And some people don't have the wonderful support that I had. So you, you know you can reach out and help folks. Go to a support group. Again, if you know somebody, um, ask them what what do you need? What can I do for you? What can I tell you from my experience? So the, there are many ways to, to get involved, but those those are a couple that I think would really help. Um, just kind of be aware that there are folks around you that are experiencing the same thing you are. 14 million a year. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an amazing number. It's overwhelming, but they're out there looking for help. So put a hand up. So true, Kevin. And, you know, I was reading about how cancer stole your life, but it also gave you a new one. Could you talk about that? Yeah, that was a, a piece I wrote for Cure a while back. And what I really was talking about was I've had the, I suppose, good fortune is the right word, to, to experience cancer from both sides. What I mean by that is I was a caregiver. My first wife died at the age of 47 from ovarian cancer. So she died much too young. But the last three or four years were very, very difficult. I was her caregiver. She was on a food tube for six months. I had to feed her that way. She had all kinds of procedures, experimental therapies, flew around the United States to get, get help from different agencies that wanted to give her a hand. Ultimately, it, it, it killed her, but she never lost her spirit or her sight. In fact, uh, being my magical assistant, we still had a couple of tours that we did. We went to Japan and did a tour when she had lost her hair three times. The only way that she could go was her oncologist allowed us to take her, her chemotherapy with us to use it halfway through the tour. So we found a doctor along the way that actually gave us to her. So her, her drive to, 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 to keep living was incredible. That was the life I had to leave behind. And for a long time, a couple of years anyway, I, I wasn't quite sure how life would ever come back. And, and you, you'll hear this from a lot of survivors who have lost a spouse or a friend or you know a brother or sister. It's very difficult to imagine living without that person. What I had to do is I had to realize that that was a life here and I had a chance for a totally different second life. So in a way, cancer left that life behind, but allowed me to live this brand new life. And if I see it that way, it's not that I'm forgetting any of the past or pretending it didn't happen, but this new life is it's exciting. It's, it's another chance Another chance to live, and I'm very grateful for that. So that, that's really what I was talking about when I said that cancer stole my life, but gave me a new one. Yes, and thank you for sharing that story because it's it's really moving. Yeah. And Kevin, if you if you had a, a minute with someone who just got diagnosed with cancer, what would you tell them? You know, I had advice from a fellow who was a paraplegic. Um, I was feeling very distressed, a lot of a lot of pain. I was living in a, in a small place in Oregon after after my wife died, and I I said to him, "How do you how do you deal with this pain?" He was he couldn't move his arms or legs, and he lived this way for a number of years. And he said to me, "I'll never forget his words." He said, "Kevin, immerse yourself in your pain. In other words, face it head on, which is really what meditation and what the mindfulness is talking about. Get in the moment that's happening right now. It may be painful, but that's that's reality." And that's the advice I'd give anybody. Uh, immerse yourself in the situation. And uh, not always easy, not always pleasant, but it's real and it'll get you through. Yeah, that's such a unique take on it, Kevin. I've, I've never really had that perspective. I think that's, that's really powerful. 
Kevin, so if someone wanted to find more about your journey and uh, the projects that you're working on, what would they do? Well, I can certainly share things about my play that's coming up. Um, I have a website, just uh, malebreastcancersurvivor.com. That would be a good way. They can always reach me to cure any of the pieces that I write. And I think I've got something like 150 of them out there now, which really just tells you how much I need to express (laughs) as I go through this. this, I call it an expedition as opposed to a journey. But as I go through this cancer expedition, uh, it's a wonderful way for me to, to share with people. So they can always respond to an article and ask questions and, and uh, maybe give me an idea of something I can write about. Um, so we can we can talk that way as well. I'm always open to an email or phone call or hello as we pass on the side of the road. So uh, let me know I'm there for you. <laughs> That's fantastic, Kevin. Uh, thank you so much. You're a true inspiration. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I, I've enjoyed so much talking with you. And I, I, I'm going to be your, your, your best follower now because I know you're doing a lot of these uh, these chats. So I'll, I'll be listening in to see what you, what you cover. Fantastic. Thank you, Kevin. All right. My pleasure. We'll talk again. Bye-bye. Thank you.